This is a Baby Brunch podcast. The permanence mm. of being a mother is what is what struck me. It's forever. It's mm. forever. And the enormity of that responsibility, I think for many, can be understandably overwhelming. This podcast is supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. The range of Epimax Baby and Junior gentle all-purpose emollient moisturizers is an all-day, everyday favorite for babies and children. Give your child a good start to every day by nourishing and protecting their skin with Epimax. We've got our clinical psychologist in the studio and for the month of September and October, we're actually focusing on the mental health of our parents. Most of you have asked me on uh, a podcast on postnatal depression and you also talk a lot about your partners, male and female. Today we are chatting with Leanne Lurie. She's a clinical psychologist. A big thank you to SADAC. I need you to go to their website. There's a number. It will also be in our description for this podcast on social media as well as on our website, babybrunch.ca.za. If you're watching this for the first time or even listening to this podcast series for the very first time, my name's Alana, and it's a privilege to be hosting content that supports parents and that helps other people. For more, check out babybrunch.co.za. Depression is taking the lives of women, parents, our children. Yet, when I tell my birth story and I say to someone, I was sad and I was, and they say, do you think you had postnatal depression? I go, no. I don't think so. It was never diagnosed. I don't know. Why, why does it still carry a stigma? Why, why are we still shy to talk about how sad or depressed we are? Thank you for having me. I think the first thing that needs to be raised is that a new parent is expected to have it all together. A new parent is expected to be happy and excited about the birth of this miracle like into the world. There's no room to be upset. There's no room to be down. And if you admit that you are and you admit that you are not coping, your fear is that you are going to be judged or that you are going to be viewed as less than the perfect mother or caregiver. And the concept of a perfect parent certainly doesn't exist. And I think that the more we can open up conversations like this, the more we can hearten parents' awareness of both their own vulnerability and in turn give them the capacity to be there for their children when they are equally vulnerable. How does one identify it? Like, how do you know it's not just a sadness? How do you know that you are depressed and that you need to call someone? So we know that like in the postpartum period, we know that sort of by day three, when your hormones are starting to fluctuate and change, it's very normal to experience the baby blues. But when that sadness starts to impact on your functioning, on your ability to get up in the morning, have some kind of self-care, on your ability to, for example, relate to your partner. And when it starts to persist for longer than a two-week period and it impacts your thoughts, you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling worthless, you may even have some ambivalent feelings towards your baby. You may, for example, not want to be left alone with your baby. 
those are warning signs. And at that point, you may not necessarily have the insight to recognize that you are in trouble. And so it's important that your partner is equally equipped to pick up on those warning signs and to seek help for you when needed. I'm not a therapist or a clinical psychologist. And I had a gentleman say to me, I told her she's crazy. I told her that she needs to seek help. And to be honest, I was quite irritated. You know, surely there's a role that our partners, that our spouses can play in helping us to diagnose or to find out what is really going on in our inner world. Mm. How, how do we believe that truth and, and how can we equip them with this conversation to be gentle and to help us in this situation? I think I would have been equally irritated. I think to call your partner crazy is not a good starting point in making her receptive to actually receiving help. I think to to reflect on the fact that you notice that she is struggling. You notice that she is more teary. You notice that her own self-care is lacking because she simply doesn't have the energy for it. And to start the question with, how can I support you? How can I be of assistance to you? Can I accompany you to a doctor's appointment? Even if the departure point is going to your GP or going back to your gynecologist, if that's an option. And then to navigate the road forward from there. I think that also, like, you know, we we talk about it takes a village. If you need to enlist the help of other family members to come and help with the care of your infant while your partner is getting the help they need to manage better, then do that. It doesn't mean that your partner is any less of a parent because they themselves may be wracked with guilt and shame around that already. But a happy mommy, a happy caregiver means a happy baby. What's the difference between postnatal and postpartum? So they, they do refer to the same thing. It refers to the period after birth. What's, and, and it's very often, you know, they, they're starting to have more conversations around it. But what we don't talk about is your peripartum depression. You know, when a woman falls pregnant, when she is growing this miracle inside of her, she's expected to be filled with all the joys and, and that pregnancy glow. What no one talks about, though, is the huge anxiety and, and mood changes that may then accompany a pregnancy and in turn affect the woman's ability to actually function properly. And I think very often because it's not spoken about, women don't seek help. And if left untreated, there's a very, very strong likelihood that she's going to experience postpartum depression as well, which in turn will then also affect her ability to form a bond and an attachment with her baby, but through no fault of her own. I think very, very often, I think we we accept, well, I'm feeling a little bit down. Maybe it's my hormones. You know, maybe this is the way it's supposed to be. And only when we either have a conversation with a friend who may have been through something similar, or if we're lucky enough to be face-to-face with a healthcare provider, mm-hmm. do we suddenly realize, hang on a second, there is nothing normal about this, and I deserve the support and the help. Of course you do. You deserve to have, to have, oh, wow, you are so important to us. 
I'm I'm listening to you talk and I am filled with so much emotion and but I'm filled with so much hope because now we are learning. We are learning so much about ourselves and about our partners. What if you're anxious to seek help? You don't want to tell them because everyone has this expectancy. It's the first grandchild. Surely she should be happy. Surely she should be coping. Surely she should be on top of it. Where's her maternal instinct? Babies don't come with a manual. It doesn't matter how many of those prenatal classes you have been with. Like you, you know, you've been at you when you're faced with a crying, hungry infant. Sometimes you don't know what to do, and sometimes that anxiety can make your mind go to the craziest of places. Sometimes you also doubt your capacity to keep this tiny baby alive. You know, I remember when I had my when I had my son, and I remember like looking down at him and. The permanence of being a mother is what is what struck me. It wasn't about it wasn't about something that I had just undertaken that was going to be a brief period of my life. It's forever. It's forever. It's forever. And the enormity of that responsibility, I think for many, can be understandably overwhelming. I think also, I think that as as mothers I think other mothers or other family members, I think, are very quick to give you advice. They're very quick to tell you how they believe it should be done. And if you are already doubting yourself, if you are already feeling insecure, when your own behavior doesn't measure up to their expectations, you already feel like a failure and it becomes more and more compounded. Lockdown came to normalize the idea of mental health in the workplace. It's something that I deal a lot with in the workplace and with a radio station that I'm broadcasting with, with Jacaranda FM. And they are extremely supportive and people are very accepting of it because for the first time we can talk about mental health, you know. But it's, it says health, mm. you know. The, the one thing that, and I can see from Baby Branch where it's not normalized is, is that we don't know what causes this thing, you know. Is it stress? Is it chemical? Is it hormones? What what brings us to a point where we can't anymore, where we can't cope? Where, where, where does it sit? Is it in your stomach? Is it in your throat? Is it the tears? Is it the frustration? Is it the anger? Is it the, is it the, where does it come from? And I think it's such an important conversation to have. And, you know, I think the, the, the one answer would be all of the above. And the other answer would be who actually knows. And, and I think that very often I think we will. I think we will drive ourselves crazy asking for the why. Because if I can identify the why, then surely I can cure it. Surely I can make it better. And for me, it's more about the how. How do we support you? How do we work through this to get you to a place where you feel like you are functioning a little bit better and that you're able to take each moment, not even each day, each moment, celebrate the victories, show yourself compassion when, that, when it's hard mm-hmm. and make space to take care of yourself. Yes, the, the chemical, the, the, the social factors, you know, trauma that you may have been through in your life, the the stresses, the, you know, the, the quality of the relationships you have, of course, they all play a part. 
and that's why like you know if you if you have the ability or, or the luxury to have support from a multi-pronged perspective all the better but i think one of the biggest tools is also you yourself being educated as well as your partner and your family being educated about how they can support you through something so that you can give them a battle plan you can say right when you notice that i haven't showered for for a few days or i'm sleeping too much or sleeping too little or i'm eating too much or not eating at all or my fridge is empty i give you permission to do x y and z to get me back onto some kind of even kill it's a wonderful suggestion it really is what does postpartum depression look like in men it's an excellent question and it's very often not spoken about i think that for for a new father i think it can be incredibly scary and incredibly overwhelming you know my husband and i were also we were talking the other day and he said one of the scariest things he's ever been through is you know is watching our children being born i just got goosebumps oof and it's and it's not something that he'd ever like spoken about before right because i think suddenly for them they're also faced with a, with a huge sense of responsibility and care and for many they may also put that stereotypical you know financial pressure on themselves that they have to be the one who provides they have to be the be the one that is strong and holds their partner up and very often they also lapse into a period of depression they you know if they're lucky enough to be hands on and involved they they also may be incredibly sleep deprived they also may feel completely clueless as to what they're doing and yet for them how much room is actually made to feel low and to feel overwhelmed and anxious because the focus so much is on the mother and her body recovering and her body being able to produce milk to feed her baby if she's breastfeeding and her care of this infant that the father and his role and his mental health very often gets neglected my wife has become a mother and she's producing milk the boobs are no longer mine she's not seeing me mm. what do we do yeah so as a dad he feels incredibly disconnected he feels that that baby may have also almost like taken his wife away from him and as much as he loves this new little life he may also have a lot of ambivalent feelings towards it and so are other family members able to step in at certain junctures so that you as a couple can reconnect so that your conversations are not only around diapers and and how much love that yeah how much formula or or or, or nappies cost domestic <laughs> conversations yeah yeah are you able to actually remember mm. who you were prior to to having your kids and even if it means having a date night at home and you're still in the pajamas you wore the night before it's meaningful time together how do we seek help for our partners if you and baby are coping but you think him or her they're not Look, I guess I always say you have to judge who your audience is and how receptive are they going to be towards you pointing out that you notice that they're vulnerable. And do you have to be very tactful around it? Can you be direct? Or do you need maybe somebody that your partner is much more receptive to mm. to actually point out that they notice, "Hey buddy, like I can see that you're struggling." 
because I think that, you know, I think for many partners, they may feel incredibly defensive. You know, how how dare you question what I'm doing? Yeah. You're the one that's getting four months of maternity leave if you're lucky. Mm. And I still have to work and I still have to provide. So I don't have the luxury of falling apart. And I guess at the end of the day, it's about saying, right, we both chose to become parents. We entered into this together. It's okay for you to be vulnerable because I am still your teammate and I will carry the load where I can. What does a panic attack look like? Good question. So I think what we need to say is that it's normal, whatever normal means, for all of us to experience worry about day-to-day things. But when that worry starts to exceed the capacity that you have to cope. So it keeps you up at night. You start experiencing physical symptoms such as heart palpitations. You feel dizzy. You feel disconnected and outside of your body. You feel sweaty. You feel cold. You feel you feel almost like you are not actually like in this world. Then we look at a diagnosis of of a panic attack. It's when all the resources you have are completely overwhelmed and that you actually feel like you don't have the ability to cope with something. And and, and for some individuals, they are triggered by specific things, specific mm. reminders, for example, of a traumatic event. Mm. Whereas for some other individuals, they can come completely out of the blue. You know, during like COVID where there were like these huge mask mandates, we also saw a lot of individuals start to experience like panic attacks, both from like health-related anxiety, but also because if they themselves already struggled with anxiety, breathing through a mask mm. and feeling like that was like restricted almost started to like stimulate those those panic-related feelings and that tightness and that shortness of breath. Your advice and the way you talk about mental health, depression, postpartum, everything that we're talking about is so reassuring. It brings a calmness to me that is unreal because when I think of our responses towards depression and how sometimes it's discriminated against, I can feel that I'm sometimes getting really irritated and and often angry, you know. So thank you for your advice and for speaking about it as if it's so normal, <laughs> as if as if there's help, because there is. We contacted Sadek and Sadek contacted us, and we we all sparred and had a conversation about this, and and we said we're gonna we're gonna just talk about this, you know. So how how do we find help? Is do you have self help tips to deal with with panic disorder or with with just feeling of helplessness? Where does one start? So, firstly, I think, look, SADAC does a phenomenal job. And I think they have a huge like resource base that you can tap into if you're needing you know, advice on different avenues to follow. But for me, the departure point is always self-compassion. You feel how you feel. If you can't validate it for yourself then any kind of validation from the outside world is going to fall short for you. Mm. You have to show yourself a level of compassion. It's okay to feel low. It's okay to feel helpless. It's, it's okay. 
What's not okay, though, is to experience it completely alone without other people actually being given the opportunity to lift you up when you can't when you can't do it yourself. And yes, pick and choose your audience. It's not your job to convince other people about the reliability and the validity of, of how you're feeling. So whether it's phoning one of the telephonic counselors at SADAG or whether it's connecting with a teacher maybe who you really resonated with at school or a family member or a social worker in the community. I think it also, I think our lives are so frenetic. Mm. The pressures, the expectations in our roles as mothers, daughters, wives, fathers, brothers, uncles. It's huge. And so how do you pause on a daily basis? Even if it's something as simple as when you come home, take your shoes off, take your socks off, walk on the grass, feel feel the cold like beneath your feet. Can you hear the traffic? You know, do you have a warm cup of tea in your hands? Engage your senses. Yes, it's not going to change what you're dealing with, but it increases your capacity to just carry your distress in a more meaningful way. I think that for us, I think we also, we, we're part of a society where everything's about quick fix, quick solutions, squash what you're feeling down. And this is asking you to do something different. It may even feel counterintuitive. Carry your distress. You don't have to decide what you're going to do with it now. And sometimes the most meaningful thing you can do is to actually just sit with it and to just give yourself permission to be. You know, there's a, there's a lovely saying which says, you know, this too shall pass. And it refers both to the good stuff and to the more difficult stuff. And even if you give yourself permission to, to take five minutes with your children and to experience their lightness and their laughter and, and to be in that moment, and when the moment passes, you have full permission to go back to worrying about what's ailing you. But you can both live and experience what you're feeling simultaneously. Please follow Baby Branch and find the details of SEDEC in our post right now. This podcast is dedicated to every parent and to every child. You deserve the best. You really do. A big thank you to SEDEC, also to Leanne Lurie. She's a clinical psychologist, but most importantly, she helps people. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. This podcast was supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. Epimax Baby and Junior is dermatologist approved, free of artificial colorants and fragrances, and is safe to use from birth. Touch, nourish, love your child's skin with Epimax Baby and Junior. Available from leading pharmacies and retail stores.